What is up, everybody, and welcome to episode 301 of the Talking Chop podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, uh, replacing the fantastic hosting duties from last week, but he's still here. Scott Coleman, welcome aboard, and thank you again for uh, stepping into the host chair last week. It is so good to have you back, Brad. I uh, I tip my hat to you. That was, uh, as you know, the first time I have ever hosted a podcast, and it's uh, it's more challenging than than I would have expected. I know it takes a lot of work, and you do a lot of good prep work to get us ready for these. Uh, but yes, hosting a podcast is is more work than than I realized. Uh, good to have you back. I wanted to ask you, Brad. You you visit uh, Las Vegas quite a bit. I know you're there for work, but outside of work, are you a are you a cards man? Are you a shows man? Are you a just sleep and get in and out man? What is Brad Roland like in Las Vegas? Uh, just for people to know, I was there for about nine days for summer league. I just got back yesterday, um, and mostly when I go out for that, it's uh, I'm a, I'm a person in basketball arena man. Like I was in there, <laughs> I'm in the arena for like I don't know eight plus hours a day, and it's a lot to, it's a lot of basketball to watch or not watch. It's kind of like a basketball convention more than anything. Uh, but other than that, like I like to eat food, which people uh, might appreciate. I, I would say that's the thing that we did the most other than being in the arena was uh, eating as much and as, at as many different places as humanly possible. And I also like to just walk around. That's like an underrated yeah. thing in Vegas is that I just really like to walk from place to place. I know it's extremely hot in the summer, so it's a little bit less fun, but all the interconnected walkways and like just kind of seeing the sights and the views and stuff is kind of underrated for me. So it's kind of a boring answer, but that's uh, that's kind of me in Vegas. I just I just kind of enjoy the yeah. whole scene more than anything else. The if you can get, I know most of our listeners are probably in the southeast and, and don't frequent Vegas as often. But yes, if if you're ever out there, if you can get a good meal and a good drink and just sit on a patio and watch the passersby on the strip, it is a plus entertainment. <laughs> There's something to be said for just enjoying the surroundings and taking it all in. Uh, there, there are people who haven't slept in three days. There are people who are probably dreary eyed watching basketball for eight hours a day, as you just said, but, uh, well, good. Well, I'm glad you had a good trip and, uh, lots of good stuff to chat about this week. Yeah, so I missed episode 300, and thank you uh, to you and, of course, to Eric, who is always on this podcast network via this show at Road to Atlanta, and also shouts to Sean Coleman, who's holding it down daily on the Daily Hammer. Um, but we're back, at least I am, and a pretty cool week to talk about the Braves. So I'm going to run down, sort of set the scene a little bit here. People know this by now, but I wanted to say it again. Uh, obviously, today the Braves won, and they are now in sole possession of the National League East lead for the first time all season, basically. And two months ago, on the morning of June 16th, so we're recording this August 15th, so essentially two months ago exactly, the Braves were seven and a half games back, and they were 30 and 35. Um, in early July, they were still five back, and in fourth place by themselves, in fourth place at 41 and 44, um, they were four back at the All-Star break, and in third place. And just two weeks ago, the morning of August 2nd, which was a Monday, they were still four games back, and in third place. And now, after all that... They are leading the National League East because, uh, in short, most of the ground they made up early in that run was because the other teams were bad, namely the Mets, coming back to the pack. But then when when August started, they started to actually get hot for the first time. And I know all three of us, you, myself, and Eric, I talked about this, like they had to make one run this season basically to get over the finish line. And uh, it's not over just yet, but uh, they made that run the last two weeks. They're 10-2 and two in the last 12 games to go from two games under 500 to six games over 500. So I say all that. I think everybody knows it, but it's just kind of worth noting that two months ago, they were seven and a half games back, and now they leave the division. Yeah, this run has really been incredible. Um, what they have done, 
after losing Ronald Acuna uh, is remarkable. They've had a handful of guys really step up and play some of the best baseball of their young careers over these last couple weeks. And uh, the schedule has not been super difficult. And, hey, you, you have to win those games, and that's what they're doing. Uh, as you said, 10-2 and two over the last 12. They sweep the Nationals this weekend, despite all uh, two of the games being a little closer and a little nail-biting. Uh, this team has finally found their stride, and for months we, we would come on every Sunday and say at, at some point the, the light has to come on for this team, and thankfully with less than two months to go here until the postseason, the light has fully turned on, and, and they have a favorable schedule coming up, which we'll talk about here in a bit. And um, But yeah, things have finally clicked, and honestly, I think considering all the things that went wrong those first couple months, losing Acuna, losing Ozuna, losing Soroka, losing Travis Darno for the most of the year. I mean, you, you just go down the list. There are so many reasons why this team should not be contending at this point. And here we are on, on August 15th with the team in a, a lead in the division and playing as good as any team in the, in the majors right now. Yeah, certainly a long way to go here. We're not going to, uh, I would say, announce victory on the division right now in mid-August, but they've done a lot of work here. And like I said, the last two weeks or so, it's actually been their work. For the most part, they kind of treaded water for a while, which was good enough because the Mets are Metsing. Um, but I do that thread every year uh, on Twitter where I kind of pull five or six projection systems like, you know, once or twice a week. And essentially two two months ago on June 14th, no projection system had the Braves with over a 26% chance to make the playoffs, much less win the division. Uh, Fangrass was at 15% or so. And uh, our friends at Baseball Prospectus uh, – 5.9% chance to make the playoffs as of two months ago. And now the Braves are uh, more likely than not, according to, the projections, according to the projections. So, again, long way to go here, but pretty wild. And uh, famously, you and Eric celebrated last week. They finally crossed 500 for the first time all season long. That was just last week, and now they're winning the division. So, who knows, man? Uh, it's been wild. Yeah, it has. I was going to say, you know, I think the Mets at least have – Looking at this division, the Mets have been beaten up pretty badly by injuries. Yes. Uh, Jacob deGrom is going to continue to be out. Carrasco missed most of the first half. Syndergaard is still not back. Um, I think probably half their lineup has hit the injured list at some point. I think the Mets have an excuse. The Phillies have no excuse. Like, I know that Harper missed like two weeks. And, they're, they're the Phillies, Scott. That's their excuse. Yeah, it, it really is amazing that they run it back every year with a 200 plus million dollar payroll and... Again, the, you know, they're going to win like 80, 80 some odd games is what they're on pace for right now. And hey, maybe maybe that's enough to get them in the playoffs this year. As as we just said, there's still seven weeks left in the year. And by no means is this thing over with. But uh, it really is remarkable that as well as the Braves are playing, the fact of the matter is that the Mets and the Phillies not burying this team earlier in the year is is a big reason why things are so interesting right now. And hey, credit to the Braves. It would have been easy to to give in and. Uh, th those trade deadline acquisitions across the board all look like gold right now, especially when you consider they they did not give up much of anything um, compared to the Mets and the Phillies, who both unloaded one of the better prospects in their system to try to make a push here. Um, it, it's been a very positive last few weeks for this team, and hopefully they can keep it going. Certainly, and you alluded to it earlier about the way this team has looked. And obviously, the Braves are better on paper now than they were a few weeks ago because of the trade deadline and also Darno, Darno coming back and all that stuff. But um, I, I stand by some stuff that we said about how on paper this wasn't necessarily a playoff team. And I still think that is probably the case, um, at least it was a couple of weeks ago. But when you actually have a major league outfield again 
and now Darneau, now Darno is back, and they've pitched very well um, as a team. I think they have like a top five or six ERA in the big leagues since the All Star break. That combination has been enough to outlast uh, the Mets and Phillies. You know, I think New York is like twelve and seventeen since the break, and Philly's about the same. So wow, it's been uh, they've been rough. The Braves have been playing well, and that combination has gotten them there. So we'll come back to like some look ahead stuff later on in the podcast, probably finish with that and, and the schedule as we always do. But we should talk about a little bit of the games. We won't go into the death. We obviously have done at times because of the Daily Hammer being there. I guess shouts to Sean who goes through the games every single day. Um, but there was some news this week that we should hit on. Uh, we alluded to it, but Darno is now back. He came back Wednesday. He missed, I think, 86 games, which is a long, long time to be without one of your uh, better players. Not, 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 not a dominant force this year necessarily, but a guy who uh, clearly much, much better than the alternatives. And uh, we should uh, pour one out for Kevin Smith um, because that was a heck of a run from our guy. Uh, I believe it was a sub-500 OPS in his time. Uh, that oh. was uh, a rough one. And honestly, I, I got to the point where I felt bad for Smith because uh, he just was not capable. And it was one of those things where like, he's so visibly overmatched that I genuinely felt bad for, for, for a professional athlete. But... Putting that aside, uh, Darno is a lot better, and having him just the the visual in the lineup. I'm not sure if you felt, felt the same way I have, but like now you look at this lineup and it's like, oh, Jorge Soler and Jock Peterson and Travis Darno. It's like this looks like a lineup again. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's it's a legitimate one through eight. I mean, for the for the longest time, it felt like not only was the eighth spot in the order a relative zero with with whoever was catching that night, whether it was uh, Stephen Vote who has been. I mean, I guess you could call him passable, but uh, vote has not been great. If you if you look at his numbers, he's had a couple of moments, but overall, he has not been great. Oh, we we should say um, by the way, uh, just for old podcast sake, uh, remember all this conversation that we had about how bad catcher is across baseball. Ooh, Th- this is yeah. a good this is, this is a good reminder of how bad catcher can be. Uh, and the Braves have been very very spoiled for like a half decade now, and uh, things cratered for like a two month period. Yes, it, it was a stark reminder at how appreciative guys. You know, those Kurt Suzuki, Tyler Flowers, even like when A.J. Przinsky filled in for a year, like things can be, as we have seen, they can be very bad at catcher. Um, And of course, it was really no fault of the Braves' own with the injuries and how young some of their their pro, you know, Contreras did not quite seem like he was ready yet. But uh, Kevin Smith, I'm sorry to say, will will not be missed Um, having Darno in that order, no matter where he is hitting it really is back to what made the lineup so dangerous last year where one through eight, every single player can leave the yard. You're not having Abraham Almonte and Guillermo Heredia who who have been okay this year, but they're not starting every single night. Jock Peterson has been fantastic uh, since coming over in the trade. Adam Duvall has done what we expected him to do with, with power and good defense. Jorge Soler has has cooled down a little bit over the last four or five days, but we know what he can do. Uh, he hits the ball so hard, and, and I think everyone is is on board with that acquisition. So, yes, adding Darno in and, and these outfield additions as well, it really does give you a legitimate lineup one through eight. And, and frankly, that just that wasn't the case for, for a better part of, of the first four months of the year. Yeah, it's it's a stark reminder. And, of course, we'll talk about the recent binges from Austin Riley and Dansby Swanson, which also helps. They were there all along. But, you know, Riley's been good for most of the year. But Swanson going nuclear the last you know month or two has been very, very helpful as well. So it's been that total package of things coming together. Um, 
And yeah, obviously it's gone well, but good to see Art Darno back. And as we said preseason, like you can't expect him to be the guy he was last year, but he's a starting caliber catcher, and that's a huge upgrade on what you had before. Um, the other move that was sort of notable this week was Shane Green was DFA'd and then released. Um, AJ Minter was called back up to replace him on the roster. The Green experiment did not go well. We talked about this a lot in the last couple of weeks, but now that it's official, I finished off with an a eight four an eight point four seven ERA. That is a uh, not good, Scott. In almost in 19, 19 games and a near nine ERA, um, I think probably a little bit unlucky, but still some bad peripherals all the way around and lost lost his control and was just kind of a disaster. So I know I wanted them to sign Shane Green. Uh, the jury was out as to why nobody did, but I think now that we've seen him pitch, it's a lot more fair to look around the league and be like, all right, maybe that's why they didn't sign Shane Green. Yeah. Well, and they signed him for such little money. And, they, so, you know, and so late, obviously, yeah. Yes, right. It was probably, what, early May when they finally made that deal happen. I, I should have looked this up, but who knows if if not having spring training, I'm, I'm sure it was a setback of some kind. Now, who knows if Shane would have signed in, in March if a full spring training would have made him any better. I think, as you just alluded to, whenever there's a player still available post-spring training, I, I think that probably says a little something. Um, and it was it was a little weird, right? Like it wasn't like Shane was bad last year. He threw important innings. He was pretty often a seventh or eighth inning option for a team that got within to a game of of making the World Series. But um, yeah, it, it just never met. It just never clicked for him. And hopefully, he's able to kind of reset and and get back into it. Maybe catch on in a minor league deal with some team next year. But um, I think it was fairly obvious. I mean, he was barely pitching too. I, mean, I think he got into blowout duty a couple of times post all-star break, but with, with all those things being said that there was just no trust there. And I think it was a move you had to make. And, and now you hope that AJ Minter, who was pitching really well in Gwinnett, um, can kind of refine his form a little bit. And, and with the depth in the bullpen, you don't need Minter to throw the eighth inning every other night, which no. is nice. Um, but if, if he can get even close to as good as he was last year, um, you know, that that's significant depth and another left handed arm. And, and it's never a bad thing to have another fresh arm throwing, you know, mid upper 90s, especially this time of year. Yeah, take the heat off him a little bit. Um, he was dominant in Gwinnett from I didn't see any of that. But from all reports and the numbers, he obviously looked pretty good there, like his old self and has looked OK since he came back up. So we'll see what happens with Minter. But um, that's a guy who has obvious talent, was very, very good last year, has been good before that, and uh, sort of a good buy-low candidate. I'm tempted to make the joke now, Scott, about that being a trade, trade deadline acquisition of AJ Minter, but I won't do that. Like making a trade without making a trade. It's almost like making a trade, as they say. <laughs> uh, that's a good time to uh, take a second here from our sponsors. We'll come back and talk about the results from this week and look ahead. But uh, first, here is a word from the good folks who sponsor us. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year 
at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Scott, uh, let us quickly look at the results from this week. Obviously, we talked about the Braves being 10-2 and two in the last 12. Uh, they win on Tuesday and come from behind fashion, behind an Adam Duvall home run and a base loaded walk. That's a heck of a combination. Um, Drew Smiley was pretty good, um, at least very efficient on Tuesday. And then Wednesday was also kind of a wild game. That was their seventh and eight, and eight games. They were up 5 nothing on Wednesday, gave it all back including Will Smith. We'll come back to him in a second because I have thoughts on Will Smith today. Um, But they blew it. They blew it and came all the way back and actually had to overcome a deficit in the 11th inning. And then Ozzy Albies went deep off of old friend Lucas Sims. And uh, I watched that video. I was uh, out of town, and I will admit to everyone, because I was in Vegas watching basketball, I didn't watch a whole lot of baseball this week until until the weekend. But I watched that replay of Ozzy hitting that home run about 15 times uh, because it was so obvious that he knew it right away. Uh, I think it was like a 415 feet or something like that. And uh, that was a fun way to end the game. Not a whole lot of fun during the game. I was looking at Twitter and uh, there was kind of a meltdown ensuing, but they ended up coming back and winning that one. So a couple of uh, fun yet challenging wins early in the week. Yeah, especially the Wednesday night game. It Again, it, it felt similar to what we have seen this team do over the last three years. Um, it was the first time in a while the bullpen was really not very sharp. Of course, they went out to an early 5 nothing lead on Wade Miley, and then the Reds just chipped away, and, and Will Smith let Joey Votto tie the game in the ninth, which was unfortunate, and the Reds then scored one in the 11th. And, and again, you, as well as they're playing the, the old memories of, of just a couple months ago of, okay, here we go again. They're going to find another way to lose. For Ozzy to hit that that walk off there was, as you said, it was a no doubter, um, and it was a very important win. We know that every game is going to matter, so for them to battle back after what would really look like they were going to let a game get away from them when they had an early five run lead, uh, it was a huge home run. Ozzy had a great week. I think he homered in four straight games. He's been uh, he's been better lately. He was in a bit of a funk in July and early August, and he's coming out of that a little bit. We know how dynamic he is whenever he's going right. Uh, but yes, a, a big win, especially on Wednesday. Tuesday's game was a little funky. Uh, there was not a whole lot going on, but especially that Wednesday night win was was a lot of fun. Yeah, good good reminder that when, when you when you're kind of hot, you're hot. That was one that they would have lost earlier in the year, pretty clearly, um, after giving up that lead and all that stuff and um, trailing in the eleventh. And then Ozzy goes deep, and that was fun. Um, they got killed on Thursday, twelve to three. Um, they could have, you know, it could have been worse. Tomlin pitching for a long time was helpful. We should note, we should note that Kyle Muller got set down after he struggled a little bit on Thursday. He was good when he came up, um, and I don't think he was as bad as it may have looked at times late. But did you did you mind that? I think it was a pretty obvious move in some ways because you know it's coming back. But um, th- what do you think about him getting sent down after yeah. Thursday? Yeah, I think as good as Muller was at times after his promotion, and he was he was pleasantly surprising he threw in his earlier starts he was throwing strikes at a high rate was striking out guys I think that 
as all young players have to do, he has to make some adjustments now that, that big league hitters have seen him and there's some video of him. I think his his mechanics are probably out of whack a little bit. He just has not had fastball command at all in his last two or three starts. And, and that's hard to do. The Reds are a good team and kind of quietly the Reds are in the playoff push in the national league and to win two out of three is, is encouraging. Uh, but yes, it was clear that, that Muller did not have his best stuff and, I guess there's worse ways to lose a game, right? Like Josh Tomlin ate four innings and saved the bullpen and you just kind of move on and forget about it. But uh, I I was cool. I I thought Muller was the obvious guy to go, especially since Tukey's been a little bit better over his last couple starts. And I I would imagine at some point in September, we will see Kyle Muller back up, even if it's in a bullpen depth type role. Uh, He has a bright future. He, He certainly has the build to be a really successful starter or even a dynamic reliever at some point. But I think he's someone who just needs a little more time in the minors before he is ready to go full time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think we probably will see him at some point, um, whether it's to skip somebody or when the roster expands. That would make a lot of sense if he would come back. But uh, that was a move that I thought was at least relatively obvious, even if not um, the worst thing to have him go down. I think he contributed when he was up. Um, obviously, that was the only loss of the week. So no, no complaints here. Um over the weekend, they get the sweep, of course. Friday, they come back to win. That was a Scott Coleman special because the rain delay was longer than the game itself. I think the, the rain delay was like three hours and 20 minutes, and the game was like 3.05. I saw a tweet. I was actually uh, I was out and about um, post-working post in Vegas, and I saw a tweet from you to me about asking why, asking if I was awake. And I was like, okay, why is that a thing? And I went and looked at Twitter and I saw Bowman say the first pitch was going to be 10, 15 PM. And I was like, okay, <laughs> it's going to be a long night at the office. So, uh, I, you know, they won the game. They actually hit, they, they hit four solo home runs on Friday. And that was kind of it in terms of uh, fireworks, but, uh, you, that was kind of right in your wheelhouse. So if you have any thoughts on Friday, please share them. <laughs> uh, yeah, not, not every day that, I think the final pitch was thrown at like one fifteen in the morning or something. On the like that. on the East Coast, I mean, it was not it was not a game in uh, in Colorado. That was a no. uh, an East an East Coast game. Yeah, I guess it's a good thing that they were able to. I mean, I'm glad I didn't have to sit in the dugout or the stadium for three plus hours and and wait for it. But um, yeah, it was it was a, a fun win. Four solo homers. Darno finally, or not even finally, but got his first home run since coming back from the injured list, which was nice and. As we've talked about, Ozzy and Dansby and, and Riley all homering. Those guys have all been so, so good lately, uh, especially kind of quietly. Freddie Freeman, I think from that upper respiratory infection that he had a week ago, he was not great this week. And hey, if you can go five and one over a full week when you really get very little from Freddie, I think he only had a couple of hits the entire week. Um, very, very helpful. And, and to win that game, um, Again, it was kind of more of the M.O. of what the Braves have done the last two years where maybe they don't have a ton of hits, but they do hit for power. And and it was a, a fun way to win a game that didn't end until a, a lot of people had probably gone to bed for the night. Yeah, it was <laughs> all joking aside. It was a weird one that I didn't see any of, but uh, it was late. That was kind of what the most memorable part about Friday night was. And then the two weekend games. So Saturday was a was a breezy win. 12-2, the offense just goes crazy. Dansby, which we'll talk about in one second again. Ozzy Homer's again. He's, I think, yeah, Ozzy Homer in four straight games, which is, uh, he's obviously hot at the moment. Max Free pitched well. A uh, whole lot of whole lot of breeziness, again, I would say, on Saturday and on, on route to a win. And then today's game on Sunday, they win again. They're now 10-2 in the last 12. But let's talk about some guys who are hot. We, we've referenced them, but let's start with Dansby because he hit his third home run in four plate appearances. 
early in the game on Sunday. Um, that gave the Braves a 3-0 lead. They actually lost, and then they had to come back and win it again from there. But as you noted in our notes, he's uh, scorching hot right now is the way that you put it. And uh, I, will, I will actually attribute this to, to Brando over 75. But since basically in a calendar year, since August 15th of 2020, Dansby has been worth more than four Fangraphs war. This is all, this is actually actually before today's game and before the home run. Um, had a one a one fourteen WRC plus and about four point three Fangraphs war in a calendar year in one hundred fifty eight games, which is an awesome number. Also, thirty two home runs in less than a full season of baseball. Uh, that's a shortstop, folks. Uh, that's not usually the case. Um, so. I think everybody knows how good he's been, but it's just worth noting. I even got I got yelled at a few weeks ago for kind of noting that Dave's been pretty decent this year on the whole, and ever since that he's been even hotter and even more ridiculous. So I don't know what to make of Dansby, to be completely honest with you, because he's been so streaky for so long. But he's in one of those modes right now and has been for a little while. And the numbers, you know, it might always be a roller coaster to get there, but basically for a full year now, he's been very, very good. Yeah, I mean. He's a guy who's 28 years old, so he should be in his prime. And this is as good as we have ever seen Dansby at the big league level. Um, it is coming at a very, very important time. The way he has extended this lineup is is just awesome. He's really settled into that five spot in the order for the better part of the last month. And um, as we just said, him being a earlier in the year when he was hitting for some power, but the strikeouts were way too high. And he's always been a streaky hitter, but, uh, you know, the highs and the lows would balance out. And then what did you have? But a fairly, uh, we'll call it an average ish big league shortstop. Um, what he has done over the last month or so is just outstanding. And you look at his numbers now on the whole, they, they really do look good, um, on the season up to a one eleven WRC plus he's approaching three war on the season, which is very, very valuable for a player like him making the, the amount of money he is. Um, so yes, Dansby has, has been um, a little bit of a tease his entire career because it seems like he's going to finally break out of it. And then something comes up, whether it's an injury or a cold slump or something like that, but man, he is going so, so good right now. And uh, you just hope that he's able to keep this level or keep it close to over the next six weeks or so. Uh, because when he's hitting, this lineup is so much deeper and so much better. Uh, and again, for him to step up as soon as, essentially as soon as Acuna goes down for the year, ha- has been really big for this team. So I just did the live stat update on Fangraphs. Um, so this is updated for today's game. Uh, Dansby has 24 home runs in 119 games. Um, he has a slugging percentage of 496, which is pretty pretty wild for that big of a sample at shortstop. But Scott, before I before I tell everybody the answer to this, what, how many shortstops do you think have more Fangraphs WAR this season across Major League Baseball than Dansby Swanson? Um, boy, I would say six. Uh, you nailed that. He is tied for seventh. Oh, uh, tied for seventh with, with Miguel Rojas. So he's behind Xander Bogarts, Trey Turner. Carlos Correa, Brandon Crawford, Willie Adamas, who's been going crazy recently, and Tim Anderson. Uh, and then seven is Dansby. So he's ahead of Javi Baez. He's ahead of Trevor Story. He's ahead of Glaber Torres, guys that you would recognize. Um, there's been some injuries and stuff, but regardless, like Dansby also, I, yeah, he has played more games than anyone um, at shortstop this year, 119. Mm-hmm. More play appearances than anybody. Uh, he leads all shortstops. So I, 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 he's actually tied with Javi Baez with 24 home runs, but... All that, is, all that is to say, it is wild to think about where we talked about Dansby Swanson being two months ago, 
and definitely three months ago yep. after a slow start. Um, he's been that hot for that long to where uh, unequivocally he has been a strongly above average start shortstop this season. Like, not even close. He's on pace for almost four Fangraphs war this year. So, and that'd be a heck of a season. Uh, it's, honestly, even if he's just mediocre the rest of the way and finishes with three Fangraphs war, that's more than enough for a full season in terms of uh, what, you know, returning value. So, I'm not even sure what the analysis point is. I'm sure. I'm not sure. I'm confident he'll probably have a cool-off period because Dansby is Dansby, and he seems to be pretty up and down. But um, ride the wave, I guess. Yeah, no. <laughs> Keep it going as long as you can. This is a guy who is firmly in his prime, and you, we have seen him at the top, and we have seen him at the bottom, and the top is very good, and the bottom is very bad. But the way that he has cut down on his strikeouts, for a guy like Dansby, you, you can't strike out in a third of your plate appearances and expect to be successful. I mean, really, that goes for anyone especially a shortstop with his profile. Um, but yeah, man, he's, he has been great. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I called him Babe Ruth with more power after his, uh, <laughs> after his, his, what was it? Fifth home run of the week earlier. Um, yeah, he, he's been very good, very fun to watch. And the defense has remained steady as well, uh, which is obviously so important playing shortstop. So he has been a, a very big boost and you hope that he's able to carry this through the end of the year and into the playoffs. If it comes to that, uh, because the Atlanta Braves are a much better team when Dansby is is good Dansby instead of the Dansby of two months ago where I, I think we were talking about what does his future look like? Does he have a long-term outlook with the Braves? Um, we'll see if he's able to keep this going, but he has been very, very good lately and, and a lot of fun to, uh, fun to watch. So from, uh, from Babe Ruth with more power and Dansby Swanson to the player that I often refer to as Brooks Robinson, uh, <laughs> that is Austin Riley. Austin Riley, uh, similarly to Dansby, is now into the top eight in Major League Baseball in Fangraph's war by third baseman. And that might even be conservative because they hate his defense. Um, and what, that's a whole separate, separate discussion. But Austin Riley has basically been a top four or five third baseman with the bat this year. And he's under a uh, pretty hot streak right now as well. Um, essentially, in the last 102 games, which is basically, if the season started later, Riley would be like, you know, even higher than this. But he has a 301, 377, 556 slash in 100 games, um, 24 home runs in that period, and he has 25 total. So basically, he was terrible for the first like three weeks of the season. And he's had a couple of swoons in between there, but for the most part, he's been incredibly, incredibly good. In fact, he leads the National League in WRC Plus for third baseman since that period of time. He's number one in baseball across third baseman and in WOBA over that time. He's just been outrageous, and there's this whole defensive conversation that we can definitely have that I kind of had on Twitter today because, like, outs above average and UZR are, like, hate Austin Riley for, for whatever reason yeah. I'm not I don't th- I don't think he's a great defender but I think he those are, he's not as bad as those numbers say, say that he is uh and I'm not like gonna go on my way to defend Austin Riley's defense but regardless even if you factor in the bad defense even if you just assume he's terrible there which I don't, I don't think is necessarily true he's still been a top 10 third baseman and uh for the last 100 games he has been uh I joke I joke about Brooks Robinson but he's been basically <laughs> a star for the last you know three and a half months yeah no I I think I looked it up uh a couple days ago it was, I, I think that Austin leads all third basemen since that April 15th date in batting average, in OPS, in home runs. I mean, basically, pick your offensive stat of choice. And Austin Riley, if he is not number one, he's like top three across the board. Especially in the National League. I think the only guys that are like as good as he's been is like Devers and Ramirez, and they're both in the American League. So there yeah. you go. 
And those two guys are widely regarded as two of the top, maybe 20 players in the entire league. Um, yeah, Austin has been fantastic. I am. Uh, I have uh, happily eaten crow on this one. Of course, he was. He me, was not me too. Me too. By yep. the way, uh, I, I'm not sure I went as far as you did, but I uh, I was not far away from you. So we were definitely wrong about this so far, <laughs> which I'm, yeah. I'm cool with. Let's be let's let's be let's be frank. We're happy about this. Yes. Oh, I I will happily anytime uh, I can do that. I'm I'm happy to do it. Uh, he is. I the at bat that sticks out in my mind is when the Braves were in New York and Riley put together an outstanding at bat in the ninth inning against Aroldis Chapman. And I think it was like an 11 pitch walk to keep the game going. The Braves were down by one. And I, and I think a few others at the time all said like that was as good of a plate appearance from Austin Riley that he has ever had. And little did we know that he was going to turn into Brooks Robinson shortly after that. But uh, man, he's been a huge boost to this lineup, a, a true uh, – not only has he been good, but pr- uh, providing Freddie Freeman with some legitimate uh, protection, batting cleanup behind him has been great, especially losing Ozuna out of that spot. Uh, you can't pitch around Freddie Freeman because if you do, you're running into Austin Riley, and now you're running into a scorching hot Dansby Swanson. Riley has been great. He he does a little bit of everything. He's he's cut down the strikeouts, which is encouraging. He's getting on base. He has a walk rate of about 10%, which is great. Um, hitting for average, hitting for power. He really has turned into this complete offensive player, which is great to see. And, and frankly, in the middle of April, it did not seem super likely. But um, what he's been able to do, I, I think I, I'm with you. I think the defense is probably average whenever you have one system that really hates him and one system that says he's pretty good. It's probably somewhere in between. Um, but Hey, he, he does not need to be a perennial gold glover for him to be a super valuable young player with the way that he, he hits the ball. Yeah, I actually, I think he's probably below average. I, I trust the numbers a little bit, but even then I don't think he's as bad as it looks. Like, for reference, I looked this up earlier. He's dead last and outs above average at third base in defense this year across Major League Baseball. Like, I don't think that's, I don't think he's that bad. I just don't. I mean, I, I know this is, I'm not a big eye test guy. I kind of trust the numbers a lot, and I, I don't believe that he's that bad. Like, he's the, since he called, since he got called up from the, from the minors three years ago, uh, I believe StatCast has him as the second worst defensive third baseman in Major League Baseball ahead of only Vlad Jr., who no longer plays there because he was so bad. So, I, don't, I, I just don't believe that. I think he is probably below average, but that's okay if you slug 600. <laughs> like, no one cares if you're going <laughs> right. to do this. Like, since the break, I think it's like 660 slugging, which is just outrageous and not sustainable. But, I mean, the power is, has been always has always been real, and he's uh, looking very, very good. So, I hope it continues, quite obviously. And, uh, you know, this offense is suddenly quite dangerous if you get Dansby and Riley hitting like this because you can kind of rely on Freeman. I think Ozzy, you can – largely rely on as well and then you mix and match with the supporting pieces like basically since the all-star break I pulled the numbers and we won't go through all of them essentially everyone has been good that has played a decent amount like even guys like Peterson and Soler and Adam Duvall have been above average hitters since the all-star break it's not a huge sample size. It's like 15 games for some of these guys, but they've yeah. all been pretty good. And if that happens, it's not always going to be that way. But if you suddenly have seven or eight or nine guys that can all hit at an average level, you're in good shape. Yep. No, you're right. I mean, there, there's no easy out in this lineup right now, um, especially with, with the addition of Jock Peterson, who has been really, really good, a, a 120 WRC plus. And yep. not only that, but him being left-handed, 
Um, him and Freddie being the only two regular lefties. I know Ozzy hits left-handed more times than not being a switch hitter, but um, you know, his addition is nice. It helps balance out the lineup a little bit. The power of Duvall and Soler just gives you that instant offense. So if, if it's a night where your offense is just not clicking, all it takes is one of those guys to bop one over the wall and suddenly what what looks like a, a difficult night, kind of like we saw on Friday when they hit the four solo homers, they really did not have a whole lot going that night, especially after the three-hour rain delay. But when you have a one through eight who are all capable of hitting, uh, what, 20, 25 homers over a full season, it it dramatically changes your lineup and, and improves it significantly. Again, not to, not to dump on Abraham Almonte or Guillermo Heredia too, too much, but those guys are limited in what they can do. And, and uh, when you have that power and when you're not relying on them every single night, it, it makes a world of a difference. Yeah. I mean, like you said, we're not trying to pile on these supporting guys who were playing a lot when we, we didn't have a whole lot of uh, outfield depth, but um, they're supporting guys. And if Almonte and Heredia are your five and six outfielders and they're just like, they're plugging holes on defense and stuff. That's, that's more okay than having to start those guys. So uh, and then if there's Steven, if, it, if it's Steven vote day, then that's probably a <laughs> pretty bad spot, but that's only once every, you know, you figure Darno once he's cooking with gas, we'll play two out of every three day, games. And then that means yeah. you only had that one kind of punt day. And that's the only time of the, of the week where you have a bad hitter on the lineup, which is uh helpful in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, night, night and day from where we were just a couple yeah, months. I mean, ago. we, we, t- we talked about the lineups a lot. There was one like infamous lineup that was, you know, 2016 vibes, how bad it was on paper before the, before the deadline. And I was like, man, this is uh, untenable. Like this can't be this bad all the time. And they fixed it. Uh, credits Anthopolis, who I know you have a passionate love affair with Scott. You're a big Anthopolis hey, guy. Hey, um, I have given him <laughs> his very due credit for what he did at the all. You have, you have, yeah, that's, and, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm being, I'm being unfair. Uh, oh, but I know. No. But it's, no, uh, I, it's it's, <laughs> he has done a, he did a tremendous job at the deadline, especially getting those last two deals done under the horn um, you know, when it was just Duvall and, and Rosario, it was like, okay. And, and Jock Peterson a week before it was like, okay, like that's probably enough to keep him in it. We'll see. Um, but getting Soler and then Richard Rodriguez, uh, just before the deadline ended, that really pushed it over the top. And, uh, you know, for all those reasons, I, I have been critical of Alex for some things. I think it's fair criticism. I'm not going to sit here and just praise <laughs> everything he does blindly. Like, some people on Twitter do, but um, I, <laughs> I I do also believe that whenever he does something right or does something well, um, he has done a tremendous job navigating this team despite the many unforeseen roadblocks that have come up. Yes, I would uh, echo that. Uh, we do have to do one not as positive topic, at least because I'm teed up for this in a lot of ways. Uh, we've been very positive. I, I, I want for the record. On this podcast, no one can reply and say that we've been negative on this podcast. We haven't been. We've been very positive today. Um, but the Will Smith thing got my my uh, my gears grinding a bit today. I'm not really sure why. I'll, I'll, I'll preface by saying this. We, you and I talked before we started recording. I think I speak for you, but you can correct me. We don't think that Will Smith is Craig Kimbrell, like prime Craig Kimbrell. We, we don't think that. Uh, we don't think that he is this dominant force who can't be criticized I don't think that he should be even like the locked in closer I mean our philosophy at least mine is has always been um unless you have prime Craig Kimbrell um it's better to mix and match and not have a closer most of the time like I'd be totally fine against a right-handed heavy lineup to throw Rich Rod our uh, former Arizona and Michigan head coach (laughs) in there in the ninth inning um so all that said like no one is saying Will Smith is this incredible dominant closer 
Now, I got I started to, I kind of had to laugh today because even before he came in, he was not great today. He allowed two base runners. I understand that. Um, but even before that, people just kind of freak out when he's even coming in the game. It was like, oh man, not again with Will Smith. So when that was happening, I was like, man, that seems a little bit strong. Like the reaction's kind of crazy here. And I went and looked at the numbers, and this is before today. So the numbers are actually even better because he didn't he didn't allow a run today. But in about a month, 23 appearances, about a month and a half, he had a 2.74 ERA, a sub-3 ERA, a sub-700 OPS allowed, uh, about three and a half more times strikeouts than walks. Um, his whip in that time, if you care about that, I don't really care about that, but somebody asked me this, so I pulled it, was 1.08 in the last 24 appearances. So, like, all this stuff about Will Smith, like, being bad, and there was, I, I kind of got yelled at for saying this, and people were like, well, he's never had any clean innings and I'm thinking, I mean, okay, clean inning guy. I don't understand clean inning guy generally. Um, yes, it is fair to say he's not had a lot of one, two, three innings in the last couple of months. In fact, only three times in the last 16 appearances. So if you want to make that argument, I'm totally okay with it. He has not had a lot of clean innings. But uh, am I crazy here, Scott? Or are people gone <laughs> around the bend a little bit on Will Smith? Um, I said all that stuff to preface because I don't think he's <laughs> yeah. incredible. I want people to understand that, but he's not Dan Cole. This is not like a terrible closer. Like he's he's a good reliever and has been for a while. And I just kind of don't understand the reactions I'm seeing. Am I crazy? No, you're not. I, I think it probably falls somewhere in the middle, as these things often do. That's probably fair. Um, Will Smith is a fine big league relief pitcher. On the whole, a 3.7 ERA. 372 FIP. His ex FIP is 4.23, which is not great. But as you said, he strikes out a decent number. He does not walk the ballpark, so on and so forth. The issue, of course, is that in the ninth inning, when everything is amplified and stressful and the team is trying to come all the way back and, and make the playoffs, everything gets amplified in the ninth inning. And over the last week or so, he has had some bad moments. I think he blew back to back save opportunities. Um, yes. last weekend. And then again, thankfully the Braves came back to win on Tuesday night against the Reds or Wednesday night, whatever it was. Um, so anytime you, you have blown saves, if you blow two saves within three or four days, it's natural to be like, okay, maybe you do make a change. And I, I agree completely. Um, I'm for utilizing this depth. I mean, Tyler Matzik has been tremendous lately. Um, Rich Rodriguez, uh, maybe not a great college football coach, but he does throw a lot of strikes in the in the big leagues, and Shots to uh, and nobody is able to to touch him. Um, Chris Martin has been a, a little bit better. Um, so regardless of of who you want it to be, um, I do agree that Will Smith has been frustrating, and and more times uh, than not, he's been successful. Of course, again, you're talking about a guy with a FIP and ERA in the mid threes. But it's, it's, of course, fair to question and to be frustrated, honestly, when it does seem like he comes in the game and automatically you have two guys on base. If those guys don't score, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. But from a, a fan perspective and a mental sports health perspective, um, of course, you would prefer that he not seemingly allow a couple guys on base every ninth inning. So I, I, I guess to answer your question, no, you are not crazy. I think <laughs> with all things in a stressful playoff push, things get exaggerated and, and blown up a little bit too much, but um, he has certainly had some not great outings lately, but Agreed. Um, y- you just hope that he's able to settle in a little bit more and maybe lower our blood pressure just a little bit. Cause I, I, I certainly hope 
that every time he he comes in the rest of the way, it's not like this sense of dread that he's about to let one get away. Yeah, and I will I will cop. I I might be trolling a little bit here. I, I or I'm I'm little, I'm probably a little bit tired as well today. But I I just was truly jarred by the amount of people that were like pre freaking out as he as he was coming in, and I was like, man, this has kind of gotten. Uh, We've gone to a dark place with Will Smith, apparently. Uh, you know, I agree with all of what you said. He's not been dominant. His numbers are not incredible, but they are totally fine. Like, he's, I think, a top 20 guy in the National League in Fangraph's war uh, among relievers. Like, that's not, again, not great, but perfectly fine. Um, Rich Rod, again, shots to Rich Rod, uh, is like top five. So if you want to say, and the thing is, yeah. at, at no point in my tweet or anything that we've been saying, am, am I saying that Will Smith has to be the unquestioned every ninth inning guy? I, I don't yeah. even believe that. I never believed that, honestly. <laughs> even when he, <laughs> even when they signed him, I was like, all right, he's in the eighth inning. Um, and they gave him the, it's the con. And to your point about the ninth inning, that's part of it. I think at least some of it has always been tied to the contract as well, which you and I didn't love either. Like we didn't love that contract, um, yeah. especially especially because it was the only multi-year deal that they've basically ever done for anyone um, in free agency. So it's that combination of all those things. I want, I want people to just kind of be, it's more of a reminder that he's actually not bad. Um, he's just, he's pretty good. He's not dominant. Um, and I would be totally fine again, if they were to be a little bit more strategic, unfortunately, Snicker yeah. just seems to want to have, he, he wants to have his one guy in the ninth. I think that's something that he likes to do. Um, maybe um, they, maybe that'll be Rodriguez at some point. Maybe maybe Smith will blow another one somewhere, and Snicker will just have had enough, and it'll be Rodriguez. But um, I think practically speaking, Smith would have to probably be bad for a little while longer to actually lose his job. So I, I would yeah, advocate for them to be a little bit more a little bit more careful with how they use him. But we'll see. Yeah, there's probably a little PTSD built in there too from last year because. Oh, he, I mean the home his, run, the home runs last year were uh, a thing. I think I think he allowed like four per nine. Like that's that's not that's not an exaggeration. I think he allowed like yeah. three point eight home runs per nine, which is like impossibly bad. Yeah, and we have well chronicled his. Uh, he essentially had no ramp up period because he had COVID in July when everyone else was trying to <laughs> three, go. By the way, three point three point nine four home runs per nine last year. Oof, Smith. Yeah, and that, and that's you know as a fan, that's something that sticks with you. He of course gave up a very infamous home run in the NLCS uh, to the other Will Smith. Um, so yes, I do think there's probably from a fan perspective, a little bit of PTSD, which is built in and Hey, that's, that's being a fan and being uh, dedicated to a team, but you're right. I mean, I, I think to wrap this up, it is somewhere in the middle. He is not terrible. He is not prime Mariano Rivera. Um, and you just have to hope that he's able to be a little bit better than what he's been over the last 10 days or so. And, and stabilize because really right now uh, the rest of the bullpen has been very very good. Oh yeah, I mean re especially recently the bullpen has been very has been very good. Um, but yeah, we'll hopefully not have to talk about Will Smith anymore. And I, I, I say that for the end on purpose because I didn't want to dwell on that too too much. But I thought it was I thought it was funny and I wanted to just kind of uh, you know sort of on brand push back about him being terrible. It's kind of like Drew Smiley early in the season. We were like he may not be this bad. Like don't worry, he may not like, he may not be good. But he's not that bad, and uh, that worked out okay for us, I think, so far, as to just like not completely bury him under the ground. If Smith falls apart, then we'll say it, but um, not not just yet. Uh, all right, last thing is the schedule for this week, and uh, once again, it's fairly favorable for the Braves uh, this week. They have three three with Miami on the road starting Monday, and they're off on Thursday, and then they're at Baltimore, which is... Uh, Favorable matchup because they're not very good. Just breaking news. Uh, they could lose, of course. It's baseball, but 
all six games against teams that they're um, solidly better than this week. The Phillies uh, are, are on the road as well, Arizona and San Diego. Um, you can go see the Phillies this week, Scott. Want to go down, want to go over to want to go over to Phoenix and check <laughs> yeah, out the yeah. check out the Phillies. I'll, I'll be one of about eleven Diamondbacks fans in there. Uh, there <laughs> there uh, you go. Yeah. Uh, and the Mets actually have a tough slate. They have the Giants at home. The Giants have been just one uh, amazing one after the other all season long. They are just running incredibly hot all year. And then they have to go to the Dodgers, which is no fun for anyone. Mm. So uh, the Mets yeah. spiral could continue. Let's just say this week. <laughs> um, my only note there, other than just to ask you what you think is going to happen in the next couple of days, is that Enoa is going to start on Tuesday, according to Snicker. So that'll be his return. He's not pitched since May 16th when he suffered the injury that has cost him now for three months. So that'll be interesting to see. Of all things to circle this week, that's probably a high on the list. But um, what do you foresee? Because, you know, on paper, this is a spot for the Braves to keep it rolling. Yep. You have to take advantage. I mean, as the Marlins are... We'll call them pesky. Like they seem to play their best games against the Braves. Um, the Marlins are pesky. The, the Orioles, I just looked, the Orioles have lost 11 games in a row. Um, it seems like this is the time of year where the good teams all seem to find themselves on a good winning streak and the bad teams just completely fall off the earth. Ooh, and, to, and, to add to that, uh, Baltimore, number one, they're, they're 32 games back in the division. Uh, <laughs> and they have the base, they have baseball's worst. Um, run differential. They have been outscored by 201 runs wow. this season. Uh, wow. They're actually their record is better than the Diamondbacks' record. So shouts to the Diamondbacks. Mm. But um, Baltimore, yeah, minus 201 run differential in 116 games. So wow, yikes. So yeah, so you would say again, it's dangerous. This is a dangerous game to play with baseball. But you would hope for another five in one week. It's hard to to just expect to win five out of six games when, when the sport is so inherently random, but um, you need to take advantage of these games, especially because looking ahead even farther, the schedule does get significantly more difficult at the end of the month. And into September, they have the Yankees, they have the giants twice on the horizon. They have the Dodgers still, they still have a series uh, with the Padres as well. So you, you have to take advantage of this and hopefully the Phillies going out West will mess up them a little bit. Um, yeah, the Mets are in trouble. They're getting, as we record this, they're getting blasted by the the Dodgers right now. They play the Dodgers and the Giants again this week. And then, or I'm sorry, they play the Giants, then the Dodgers, and then the Giants again is their next 10 games. Um, so th- that's going to be a real challenge. If Again, it's there's still seven weeks and things can happen. But if I was a betting man, this is going to come down to Atlanta and Philadelphia. Things can always change, but the Mets schedule is just brutal and um I think it's 13 games in a row they have against arguably the two best teams in the divi- or in the league right now. Um, that that's very difficult. So we will see. Yeah. Um, but hopefully it is a profitable week and one game up in the division they can extend that out to two or three or four uh, as long as they take care of business. Yeah, the projection systems uh, now also sort of echo your sentiment there and have it as a Braves versus Phillies projection for the most part. The Mets are uh, well back in the systems. Um, to your point about the Marlins being pesky, Miami actually has the second best run differential in the division, um, better than the Mets and the Phillies, despite being nine back of the Mets. Um, Miami's been pretty, pretty unlucky this year. And I will say this, because the Braves are going to Miami, Miami is 30-27 and 27 at home this year. So they've been terrible on the road, but they've been actually quite frisky in their home ballpark. So that's not a, that's not a terribly easy series to open the week, in my view. But then Baltimore is uh, bad everywhere, we'll say. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens. I, I mean, 
as we always say, Fangraphs is like, uh, not Fangraphs, 538 is like the one that updates in real time. They have the Braves at 86 and 76 um, projection right now. And for the first time I can remember seeing this year, the Braves have a better than 50% chance to win the division. 56% by, by 538 today to win the division. Um, I saw that Eric answered this question on Twitter as we were talking, as Eric's doing a sort of a Q&A thing. I will ask it to you before we get out of here, Scott. Um, Braves, division winners, yes or no? I'm going to say yes. Um, I, I'm honestly amazed that if you would have asked me this a month ago, I think a month ago to the day is when Acuna, um, it was announced that he had torn his ACL. Uh, a month ago, I would have told you 10% chance. Like maybe something weird happens. Um, but I, I do think so. I think on paper, this is probably the best roster, 1-26 to 26 in the division. Um, the Phillies have some issues. I know they've been playing better as of late, but they won a whole bunch of games against some bad teams. And, hey, they all count the same, right? Like this isn't the BCS in college football where you you get style points. Um, you know, the Mets, because of their schedule and their injury woes, DeGrom is shut down for another two weeks. I do think this team's going to win the division. And then, hey, you get in the dance and see what happens. Um, it looks like it would be against the Milwaukee Brewers in the first round, and, and that's not a – uh, overly daunting thing, so we'll we'll see. Got to get there first, but um, there, there's a lot of good mojo with this team right now, and um, I, I do think they're going to win the division. But they have to, of course, take care of business, uh, especially in the short term against these these bad teams. Yeah, the thing about Philly is that Philly's run prevention has been pretty bad this season, and that's remarkable because Zach Wheeler is the Cy Young favorite right now, and basically aside from him, they have been fairly dreadful. Uh, pitching wise um, even Aaron Nola who I think is good has an ERA of like 4.4 this year he's not been particularly fantastic and the other guys have been pretty ugly so it's Wheeler and I guess Nola and I mean Zach Eflin's been okay at times I don't know it's been a little bit rough for them they've, they've allowed I think like the fourth most runs in the National League this year so that's the advantage the Braves have over the Phillies is um, with their pitching staff at the moment particularly with um, guys either coming back or pitching better like Max Free was better this week, for instance. Um, you still have Morton, who I trust. Um, the bullpen's been better, obviously. So, yeah, I think that's all fair. I mean, the projections have the Braves ahead at this moment in time. That makes sense, given that they have a one-game a one lead, and uh, the schedule, I think, is at least comparable, if not um, slanted towards Atlanta at this stage. So, yeah, making the run that they've made lately has kind of just done the trick and flipped the odds. So, uh yeah, I mean, I think I'd probably pick them right now, too, which is, again, pretty wild because one more time, two months ago, they were seven and a half games back and tied for third. <laughs> wow. And now they are projected to win the division. Again, they definitely could lose. Like, no one is – no, neither of us are saying that they're definitely going to win the division. This is right. not a uh, foregone conclusion because they've taken the lead. They're going to keep it, keep it rolling here. But I think I'd I think I'd pick them, too. So. Yep. Yeah, this is a – again, to, to the, incredit, the credit of Alex Anthopoulos in the front office – um, this roster is a legitimately pretty good roster now. You add in Jock Peterson, you add in Duvall. Um, we'll see if uh, you have Jorge Soler. We'll see if Eddie Rosario uh, is able to give them anything over the last six weeks or so, who I believe he is in Gwinnett right now rehabbing. Um, you get Waskari Noah back. You get Ian Anderson back. Uh, maybe you bring up some of the young prospects to help for the playoff push when rosters expand a little bit here. Uh, there, there's certainly reason for optimism and, and frankly a month or two ago that did not seem like the case but hey it's a long season and, and they have hit their stride at the right time and 
Uh, here's hoping they can continue on this stretch because it's been a lot of fun to watch these last few weeks. It has been, and uh, a pretty positive podcast. You know, I missed a landmark show of 300 last week. You guys carried the torch for me. When they finally crossed 500 mark as well, it was a celebration of a podcast. And now they're even <laughs> yeah. be- they're even in better shape this time around. So uh, episode 301, when they're taking the division lead, is uh, a wild one too. So a lot's changed. Hopefully they'll keep it going. Uh, it'll be pretty. It'd be pretty on brand if next week uh, Eric and I or you and I, whoever whoever talks on this podcast, they get swept by the by the Orioles or something like that. It'd be pretty funny if they were to like just completely flop in Baltimore. Oh, but uh, God, that's hope they not. should not do that. They are they're they're better. They're better than the Orioles. They're better than the Marlins. And uh, go out and go four and two five and one this week and put some distance between yourselves and everybody else. That'd be that'd be nice to see. Uh, Scott. If you've written anything, I'm not sure if you've written anything. I know, I know you. I know you did the recap at like 1:30 in the morning the other night. But if you have anything to plug, <laughs> please feel free to do that. Uh, no, I, I haven't done a ton of writing lately. I need to get back on that grind. I've uh, been busy with with other life things, but uh, good to have you back, Brad. It was nice not having to. Uh, it, it takes a pros pro to host one of these bad boys. So. Oh no, uh, I I, uh, I I received multiple calls for my retirement after the podcast last week. <laughs> People were people were ready for the Scott and Eric variety hour. Listen, I'm I'm okay to step away whenever you guys want. If you guys want to take, no, you, take the podcast, that's fine. You're you're our Tom Brady. You're gonna play until you're like 52 years old and and just fade I'm, off I'm into almost, the I'm distance. I'm almost there now, day. so we're uh, we're getting close to 52. No, I'm kidding, but no, it was it was fun to listen to that because uh, only because I knew you were probably so uncomfortable because you don't you don't love that kind of stuff. So it was pretty that was pretty. Eric funny. Eric threw it on me like 10 minutes before we recorded. I love He's that like, about hey, Eric. He's gonna troll. host this. You're Eric, gonna host this one. I was like, oh, okay. Hey. Eric's a professional troll, which I appreciate as well. Um, please tweet at Eric asking him for some absurd take. I'm, I'm bad at this. He always he always does it to me at the end of a podcast. Um, oh, I should I should just say this. Jesse Franklin is uh, an American hero. I'll just say that right now. So, my guy. I appreciate everyone always tweets at me about Jesse Franklin at the end, at the end of every podcast. And uh, keep it going. He's been in home runs, so keep let's keep doing that. As for uh, Scott, though, it's time to wrap this, this podcast up. Thank you, sir, for joining me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. Take care, buddy. Please subscribe to the podcast. We'll be back again next week with this show, but also Daily Hammer will be back again, I think maybe even tomorrow or the day after that. Road to Atlanta will be coming this week. Jam-packed on the network, as always. Subscribe, rate, review, tell your friends, and we'll see you next time.